All right. Good evening, everyone. Let's uh, let's begin. So we are continuing tonight the Mirza Hashem in our journey in Sefer Tilim, with specific attention being paid to Capital Chof Zayin, Chapter Twenty Seven, which is the chapter of Ledavid Hashem Ori Vishir. Shir tonight is dedicated in memory of Mrs. Evelyn Sokol, the mother of Sarah Walaski, who was uh, a woman who was incredibly special on, on many different ways but also a woman who truly loved and cherished the Tehillim Shir. Um, so we hope then in the merit of our Talmud Torah that her Nisham will have an Aliyah and her family in Nechama. So remember again, last week we began, we didn't get too far into this capital, but in chapter 27 we were really focusing exclusively last week on the R, on the light. The light of David HaMelech, the meaning of the light, the profundity of the light. In tonight's Shir, I want to skip a little bit in the capital. So let's just read through it quickly together. We're skipping around a little bit. So the truth is, even when you just begin to look at these two opening psukim, the theme of this capital is one of adversity. David HaMelech is feel he's being pursued by his enemies. If you remember again in last week's shir, we discussed the idea, the Al-Sheikh brought down, that a person has three different categories of enemies, right? There are external enemies, like geographic enemies, regional enemies. Then there are internal enemies. Internal, well, the truth is, then there's internal enemies, which is the Sahara, the pushes and pulls that we experience inside. And then there's what we'll call a second category of internal enemies, which for David HaMelech, were his fellow co-religionists, were his fellow Jews, who many of them made his life incredibly difficult, overwhelming, and tragic. So the theme of this capital is David HaMelech doing battle, ongoing battle with those enemies. And David HaMelech says in Pasuk So David HaMelech says, but... If a camp encamps against me, my heart shall not fear. If a war should rise up against me, in this I will trust. And then, interestingly enough, this capital, like so many of the kapitlach in, in, in Sefer Tehillim, follows a very simple theme. David HaMelech disclosing to us his incredible and overwhelming, we'll call it fear, anxiety, difficulty with all of his enemies. But yet then, at the same time, a profound trust in Hashem, that the Ribbono Shal Olam is going to take care of him. Even when Davar HaMelech begins sounding overwhelmed, he always comes around and is always able to feel a sense of security, knowing that the Ribbono Shal Olam is near. And the Pasuk I want to draw your attention to is Pasuk Vav. So in Pasuk Vav, Davar HaMelech writes, Ve'ata yorum roshi al oivai sevivosai. So David HaMelech, and here, again, the capital shifts a little bit. And in this passage, David HaMelech says, And now, my head will be raised over my enemies around me. And I will sacrifice in this tent with sacrifices, or I should say sacrifices, with joyous song. I will sing and chant praise to the Lord. So Pasuk Vav represents really a dramatic shift in the tone of the capital. If up until this point in time, David HaMelech was lamenting his enemies, and ultimately, again, highlighting the fact that he feels profoundly overwhelmed by the circumstances in which he finds himself 
in this Pasuk, David HaMalach says, but, again, you can even see it, my head will be raised up above my enemies. Ultimately, again, I will be able to sacrifice to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. I will offer my sacrifices with song, with chanting. The entire theme of the capital, better than theme, the entire mood of the capital fundamentally changes. So it's interesting to analyze this Pasuk. If you take a look at number two, so the Radak says, in the beautiful commentary, literally again, literally translated, now my head will be raised over my enemies around me. You know, David HaMelech, David HaMelech, what, what does it mean? What's the image that he's painting when my head will be raised? If my head is being raised, what was my head like up until this point in time? It was bowed. Now, by the way, the bowing of the head represents two things. Bowing of the head ultimately could represent submission, a sense of yielding, Bowing of the head could also be a sense of, you know, I, I remember, I remember when my, my children were, were little. And I think we one time in Eretz Yisrael, woke up very early to go to, go to the beach. Are you allowed to say that? Right? It was very early. No, no one was there. And, and I, I love the ocean. I love the ocean. And I remember as I told my children, and they were very if you want to be able to navigate the ocean, the most important thing is don't stand up straight when the waves come. Because if you stand up straight when the waves come, your body absorbs the full force of the wave. Especially when you're a little kid, you get knocked over. You get knocked over. What do you have to do if you want to be able to go ahead and stay in the water and not get crushed by the waves? You got to bend yourself a little. You got to bend yourself a little. It's a profound metaphor in life in general about when to stand your ground, right? When to go ahead. There's a, there's a beautiful idea about Menachem Mendel of Kotsk. The Kotsk quotes the Mishnah in Pirke Avas, where the Mishnah discusses the various miracles which occurred inside of the Beis HaMikdash. And so the Kotsk says, the Kotsk says, one of the miracles was, Omdim Tzufufim Mishtachavim Revachim. They would stand, when they would stand up, everybody would be shoulder to shoulder. When they would bow down, there'd be enough room for everyone. So the Rabbeinu Yonah on that Mishnah says, amazingly enough, when was that referring to? It was referring to Yom Kippur. To Yom Kippur. Because what happens on Yom Kippur? Everyone prostrates themselves, at least in the Beis HaMikdash, they used to go down on the ground, and they would say, Vidui, they would confess. Well, the problem is, my confession is my business. I don't want you to hear what I'm confessing. So the problem was, if everybody was, was standing on top of each other, everybody sitting next to each other, it would impede people's ability to go ahead and confess. So there was a miracle in the base Hamikdash that when we were standing, everyone was standing shoulder to shoulder, but when we would bow down, suddenly there was enough room for everyone to spread out. So the Katska says something so beautiful. The Katska writes, there's also an incredible life lesson in there. Omdim tzfufim. If you're the kind of person who always stands your ground, meaning, and that's not a compliment, if you're the kind of person who always has to be right, you always have to be right, right? It's always got, you, you're, you're always the smartest person in the room, right? You always have all of the answers. You have it all figured out and you are unwilling to yield. Omdim tzfufim. There's no room for anyone else. We all know, because all of us deal, I'm not like that, but I know someone like that, right? So we all know someone like that. And again, that someone is very unpleasant to be around, right? It's almost as if that person like sucks all of the air out of the room, like there's no oxygen. 
There's no oxygen. There's no ability to net. There's no conversations. There's no discussions. There's no different points of view. Oh, mate, oh, mate, oh, mate. I'm standing my ground, drawing my line. Great. You can live like that. You're going to live a very lonely life. Because generally your family distances themselves from you. Generally your friends distance themselves from you. Because no one could deal with a person who's unyielding. If you're always an Omeid, you'll be alone. Mishtachavim. What's Mishtachavim? If you're willing to bow. What does willing to bow mean? So the Katsker says, willing to bow means sometimes willing to acknowledge another. Willing to acknowledge a different opinion. Willing to humble yourself. Or perhaps as Rabbi Nachman says, willing to be mavater. Willing to yield. Willing to yield. You know what? You don't always have to be right. The Sas Emes so beautifully says, why is it that children are more happy than adults? And the Sas Emes says that is because children value being happy more than being right. Adults value being right more than being happy. So Mishtachavim, if a person is willing to yield, person is willing to give in, person is willing to bend themselves, then at the end of the day, there's room for everyone. When David HaMelech says over here, now my head was lifted up. David HaMelech's head was bowed. It could have been a submissive bowing, but sometimes it's also about the fact, you know, it's an interesting thing. When children go for shots, children go for shots. So like there's, there's, two, different, there's two different schools of thought. When, right when the child's going to get a shot. So sometimes parents, like, they, they close the eyes of their children. They shouldn't see anything. Shouldn't see anything. And sometimes parents just l- let the kids look. So instinctively, you think, like, shielding is, like, the best way. Best way to protect the child from the pain. Sometimes not. Sometimes because the child's not expecting it, the pain is actually exacerbated. Sometimes seeing what's going to happen and knowing what's going to happen and accepting the fact that there's going to be a little bit of pain is actually a little bit easier. When David Melech bends his head, it's almost like you're, being, you're in the ocean with the wave. You know the wave is coming. You know the wave is coming. And it's going to wash over you. So you have a choice. You could bend your head. And if you bend your head, you stand a better chance of letting it roll over you. And you could stand right back up. So the bending of the head need not be one of submission. The bending of the head is sometimes one of acceptance. Sometimes in life, the best thing you could do is accept the fact that something painful is going to occur. You know, in, 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 our, in our society, so we are all about escaping pain, right? If I know there's going to be pain, I have to numb it. I have to numb it. Now, by the way, that's certainly good in certain respects. Absolutely. A person shouldn't suffer necessarily. But sometimes that desire to numb pain makes us so afraid of experiencing painful situations. Pain is part of life. Pain is part of the fabric of the human condition. No one escapes pain. The only variable is frequency and intensity. How often you experience pain and how intense that pain is. But everyone experiences it. When David HaMelech bends his head, do you know what he's saying? Do you know what he's doing? He's saying, all right, I got it. It's going to be difficult. I'm preparing myself for a difficult chapter in my life. And if I prepare myself for it, and I accept 
that it's going to hurt. The shot is coming. I'm not going to close more. It doesn't matter if I close my eyes or look the other way. It's still going to be as painful. So I might as well brace myself for it, prepare myself for it, and accept the fact that it's going to occur. That's the meaning of David Amalek's bending of his head. I acknowledge the pain of life. I embrace the pain of life. I accept the pain of life. Bring it. Bring it on. I don't celebrate it. I don't want it. I want it to be over. But Lamaise, I'm not going to shield my eyes from it. I accept it. I know it. I'm ready for it. So the Rebbe says, now, after all of that, Now I pick my head up. I pick my head up. So the Radak says, such a beautiful Radak number two. So the Radak understands it, the, the, as we call the Pashat Pshat. The simple understanding of the Pasuk. What's the simple understanding of the Pasuk? Dalai says, up until this time, I've been suffering with my enemies, and now Baruch Hashem, that suffering is behind me. Va'ata yorum roshi alayvai. Now I can lift my head up, the suffering is behind me, new chapter of salvation in front of me. That continues. And again, the Radak then goes on to say, Don't the rest of the Pasuk, I'm going to offer sacrifices, I'm going to sing, Baruch Hashem, my tsaris, my difficulty have come to an end, and now it's time for me to thank Hashem with song and with celebration. Ashira va'azamra, I will, I will literally, again, I will, with, with joyous song, I will sing and chant praise to the Lord. Mikol Because of all the wonderful things He did for me. Incredible. There's only one problem. There's only one problem. Is the interpretation doesn't go ahead and fit with the remainder of the capital. See, if Pasuk Vav, if verse 6, was the end of this chapter of Tehillim, beautiful, that's the conclusion. What's the problem? If you look through the rest of the capital, David HaMelech is still describing his suffering. Most notably, in one of the most dramatic psukim, I think, in all of Sefer Tehillim, David HaMelech says, Ki avi vi'imi azavuni v'Hashem ya'asveni. For Hashem, even my mother... And my father have left me. Even those, David HaMelech expressing the idea that human relationships, as beautiful and as wonderful they are, they're temporal. And even the people who love you the most in this world, even a mother and father who bring you into this world, at the end of the day, you do not know how long you are privileged to have that relationship. So David HaMelech goes on. And again, once again, in the rest of the capital, he references his enemies. What's going on over here? Radak, if you're correct, that Pasuk Vav, which again, in source number one, is the underlying bolded line, where David HaMelech is essentially lifting his head, calling out and singing in dramatic triumph. I've triumphed over all the adversity. Then why does the capital launch back into adversity again? Why do we continue to discuss the enemies? Why does David Amalek continue with the motif of being forsaken and being bereft of even those who loved him most? So this leads the Ibn Ezra to say something amazing in number three. Right? It's the Ibn Ezra. The Ata. So Ibn Ezra says, you're right. You're right. David Amalek is not talking about lifting his head now. Rather, David Amalek is saying is, one day I will be able to lift my head. One day I'll lift my head. Right? So what David Amalek is really articulating in this Pasuk is what? A sense of confidence. Sense of confidence. I know that it's going to be all right. I don't know when. I don't know how. I don't know exactly 
when, right, the when or the what or the why, or I don't know the why, but the when or the what, but I have confidence that it's going to be okay. So I know one day, one day, I'm going to get to raise my head. One day, I'm going to stop having to be bowed. One day, I'm going to be able to stand tall, to stand proud, to stand happy, to stand confident. The Masudas Davin number four highlights the same idea. So here, the Mitzudas David also, also is bothered by the same idea. He says, it's a tefillah. David HaMelech is saying, Hashem, please lift my head. So David HaMelech is not really saying, so the Ata Yorum Roshi is now, Hashem, lift my head. Not that my head is lifted. My head is not lifted. Why? I'm still in the midst of my suffering. Still in the midst of my difficulty. But Hashem, you are the one who could alleviate all of my difficulties. You are the one who has the pitaron, who has, who has the answers, who has the solutions to all of my life problems. So Hashem, I'm asking you to intervene. See, see something amazing, right? See, I'm just pointing out how incredible this is that in one Pasuk in Tehillim, you have a dispute that really highlights two different experiences. According to the Radak, this Pasuk is a turning point in the capital. And something happens over here that allows Davra Melch to once again lift his head, that allows Davra Melch to feel triumphant, that allows Davra Melch to feel successful in this incredible and overwhelming battle of life. Eben Ezra, Mitsudas David, no. No, no, no. He's still in the thick of it. He's still struggling. He's still having dramatic difficulties. So what does the Pasuk mean? Well, according to, essentially, according to Ibn Ezra, Mitsudas David, it's a supplication. Hashem, please lift my head. Please, I'm so tired of being bowed. I'm so tired of being overwhelmed. I'm so tired of dealing with the difficulty and adversity of life. Lift my head. Lift my head. But here's what I want to show you something amazing. Take a look at the Mitsudas David. I'm sorry, the Malbim in number five. So the Malbim essentially agrees with the Eben Ezra number three and the Mitsudas David number four. So meaning, when the Malbim looks at Pasuk Vav, verse six, what he sees in here is a supplicatory, aspirational idea. What David HaMelech is asking, David HaMelech is not saying, I have lifted my head, because David HaMelech cannot yet lift his head. He's still struggling. What he's asking for is for Hashem to deliver salvation, essentially so that he should be able to lift his head, so that Hashem should lift his head. But the Malbim does something amazing, because what the Malbim focuses on is the last part of the Pasuk. What's the, go back up to number one for just a moment. What's the last phrase in Pasuk Vav? Ashira v'azamra Hashem. I will sing and chant praise to Hashem. The Mab, look how the Malbim understands that phrase in number five. The Amabim says, The Malbim says that although the salvation has not yet occurred, David Amalek's head is still bowed because of the difficulty and enormity of his circumstances. What does he start to do? He starts to sing. Ashira va'azamra, Ashira va'azamra la'ashem, is beginning now. Is beginning now. And the question is obvious, right? What's the obvious question? Why is David HaMelech beginning to sing now? Why does Shira begin now? If what? If what? He's still in the middle of his adversity. In other words, the difficulties are still unfolding. 
the head is still bowed. The enemies are still surrounding. Remember again, the enemies are present before Pasuk Vav, the enemies are present after Pasuk Vav, the enemies are all over. Davar HaMelech is still struggling. Well, if you are truly still struggling, then why are you beginning to sing? Hold that question. We're going to go on a little bit of a detour to answer this. Take a look at number six. I want to show you something really fascinating from last week's parasha, Parashas Kiseitse. So the Torah says as follows. Torah, this is at the end of last week's parasha. The Torah says, Kisidar neder l'ashem, lo sa'acher l'shalomo. If you make a neder, a neder very simply is a vow. A vow. person makes a vow to Hashem, whatever the vow might be. Again, by the way, the vow doesn't necessarily have to be something to Hashem. The vow could be whatever you make a vow for. It could be, I vow to bring an offering to the Beis HaMikdash. I vow to give tzedakah. I vow to go ahead and help, uh, you know, Ruvain go ahead and, you know, till his field, whatever it is. Point is, the Torah says, if you make a neder, lo do not delay in fulfilling your neder. If you make a neder, if you make a neder, fulfill it, execute in a timely fashion. Because if you don't, because if you don't go ahead and fulfill your, your nether quickly, ultimately, again, the Lord your God will demand it of you and it will be counted as a sin for you. So th- this Pasuk, this Pasuk, we call this the anti-procrastination verse, right? Chash Baruch who says, if you make it, so really there's two elements over here. Number one, when you say something, be a person of your word. Be a person of your word. You make a promise, in this case, you're making a nether, come through, follow through. But not only follow through, follow through in a timely fashion. Now for Nadarm, there's a whole discussion. So what's the window? Obviously, it doesn't have to necessarily be immediately, but there's a window. There's a window of fulfillment. Good. A very straightforward, basic Pasuk. Torah then goes on in the very next Pasuk and says, it's such a strange Pasuk in number seven, if you refrain from making a nether, from making a vow, you will have no sin. Okay, so what does it sound like the Torah is telling me? What does it sound like? Well, it almost sounds like in number six, which is Pasach Abbez, right? Chapter 23, verse 22. So in the first Pasach, the Torah is telling me, if you make a nether, you have to be careful with your vows. So if you, make a now, if you make a vow, number one, follow through, execute. Number two, make sure to follow through and execute in a timely fashion. Got it. But then the Torah feels compelled to say, oh, and by the way, if you don't make a vow, you'll have no sin. So what is this like the Torah is telling us? Don't make vows, right? It sounds like what the Torah is saying is, don't make vows. But it's such a, first of all, why not? And what, why would the Torah phrase it like this? So I'll show you something amazing. Look at number eight. There's an amazing Gemara Mesechas Nedarim. The Gemara says, get ready for this. The Tani Rav Dimi, Achod Rav Safra. Kola Noder, anyone who takes a neder. Ava Pishu Makaimo, even though the person fulfills the neder. Nikra Chote, you're called the sinner. The Gemara says, the act of making a neder, the act of making a vow, says the Gemara, is in and of itself a sinful act. It's a sinful act. And even, again, I want to point out over here, this is even, even though what? Even though what? You made the nether and you fulfilled it. Remember, we're talking about someone who made a vow, fulfilled the vow. So I made the promise, I made the vow, and I, I, and I made good on my word, and I maybe I did it in a timely fashion. 
The Gemara says the act of making a vow, even if you follow through, even if you execute, that is called sinful. Amr Zvid Maikra, where do we get this from? So the Gemara says from the Pasuk, we just read it, number seven. V'chisechtal lindar neder, lo Because what does the Torah say? If you shall refrain from making vows, you will have no sin. So the Gemara infers from that what? Halochadalta, if you did not refrain. But what? You made a neder, therefore what? Ikachet, there is a sin. So that's a strange Gemara. So I just want to point out what a, what a strange journey in the Dharma this has just been. In verse number six, the Torah says, if you make a neder, two criteria. Number one, keep your vow. In other words, honor your vow. And number two, do it in a timely fashion. And in number seven, the Torah comes along and says, but by the way, don't make vows. Don't make vows. And comes along and the Gemara says, by the way, when the Torah tells you don't make vows, the Torah means to say, the act of making a vow in and of itself is sinful. So you think it to yourself, okay, you're right, I understand. If I make a vow and I don't fulfill it, it's sinful. Says the Gemara, no, no, no. If you make a vow and you do fulfill it, it's still sinful. And the obvious question is, how do you understand this? In other words, what the Gemara obviously is against the concept of making a nether. And by the way, you should know, we all know this Gemara, we just didn't realize that we know it, which is why whenever we generally commit to something, we often say the words, that's not just to sound from, right? That, 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 that's, actually, that's actually based on the idea, actually based on the idea that the Gemara says, don't make nedarim. The rabbis Chazal did not like the concept of a nedar. So you could say, I understand why the rabbis don't like a nedar. I understand why the Gemara doesn't like nedarim. I, I get it. Why doesn't the Gemara like nedarim? Because at the end of the day, it's a dangerous, it's a dangerous endeavor. Because if you make the vow and you don't carry through on that, the Gemara talks about the punishments for those who make vows and do not follow up on their word. The Gemara talks about that. But here the Gemara is taking this a step further. Again, I'm going to be repetitive, but the Gemara is saying, even if you fulfill the vow, the act of having made the vow is sinful. So how are we to understand that dynamic? What is it that Chazal, what is it about that the Gemara did not like about the concept of a nether? One more detour, then we'll pull it all together. The first Pasuk of last week's parasha, take a look at number nine. So remember again, this is actually a fascinating section in the Torah, not, not our topic for tonight. Although it could be a series of shi'urim, the Torah says, Ki When you go out to war against your enemies, Hashem will deliver your enemies into your hands, And you will take captives. So remember again, the rest of this section is devoted to the fascinating halacha called Yifas Tawar, the war bride. The war bride the ability for the Jewish soldier to go ahead and take a bride from the nations that were conquered. Fascinating halacha, much, much and upon it, but not our topic for today. What I want to draw your attention to is something very interesting. In the Sfarim, in Hasidic literature, there's a concept that whenever the Torah speaks about war, and whenever the Torah speaks about the enemy, war, going to war, even though the Torah is always speaking about war with an external enemy, when the Torah speaks about war, it's always a metaphor for going to war with your Yetzir Hara. For going to war with 
your inner enemy. As we discussed again, we st- this is what we discussed last week a little bit in the, in the Al-Sheikh, we spent mentioning again beginning of today's year as well. We're, we're in a constant state of battle. A constant state of battle. And the battle goes on. You know, the Gemara says, the Gemara says that from the moment that a child comes into this world, they have a Yetzirah. Right? And that Yetzirah is there in us until when? Until when? Until the moment we die. From the moment that we come into the world until the moment that we're ready to leave the world, there is an ongoing battle, a constant and consistent battle. Sometimes the battle is acute. Sometimes the war is intense. And there are lulls. There are absolutely lulls in the battle. And certainly, again, different stages of life bring about different types of battles with different internal enemies. But life is a constant battle. It's constant war. And therefore the Svarim explains so beautifully, this Pasuk in this section is actually giving us not just the halachos of the war bride, but is actually giving us many of the halachos, or better stated, strategies that we need in order to be successful in our own internal battles. Because each and every day, each and every day, we fight these battles. Each and every day we fight the battle. And the truth is, if we're honest with ourselves, some days we win, many days we lose. Or the truth is, over the course of a day, there could be multiple battles. Some of the battles I win, some of the battles I lose. But life is this ongoing war. So there's a beautiful piece by the Imre Elimelech. Imre Elimelech is number 10. Imre Elimelech was Rav Elimelech Shapiro. Rav Elimelech Shapiro was the father of the Piazetzna of Rav Klonimus Kalmish Shapir, the Ish Kodesh. Now, the Piazetzna never really knew his father because the Imre Elimelech, his father, died when the Piazetzna was only two years old. He was a baby. He never knew, he never knew his father. He knew about his father, but he never, he was two years old. He never really knew his father. So the Imre Elimelech makes an amazing observation. He says, look at this phrase for just a moment. And it's so profound. Kiseitse lenochama. Well, how do you translate When you go out to war, says the Imre Elimelech, the Torah HaKedoshah is giving us such a profound strategy about how to do battle with the Yetzirah. And how is that? Go out to battle. There are two ways that an army could wage a war. You could wage an offensive war or a defensive war. What's the nafkamina? What's the difference between an offensive war and a defensive war? In an offensive war, you take the battle to the enemy. In the defensive war, you wait for the enemy to come to you. In an offensive, in a defensive war, you are reactive. In an offensive war, you are proactive. Says the Imre Elimelech something absolutely amazing. The Torah is telling us, When you go out to battle against the Yetzirah, what does that tell me when I'm going out to battle? What does that tell me? What kind of war am I waging? An offensive battle. A proactive battle. The secret to spiritual success is proactivity. Don't wait for the battle to come to you. You engage the enemy proactively. Don't, and by the way, you understand how profound this is. How profound this is. I'm not going to take a show of hands. But, generally in life, when do we deal with our problems? 
When do we deal with the problems? Not anyone here, but maybe you have a friend who could, you can answer on this on their behalf. Right? When do we deal with our problems? When we have to. When I can no longer ignore it. Right? I do anything and everything not to have to deal with my issues. By the way, you plug in, the, what, you fill in the blanks, whether it's issues with your family, issues with your friends, issues that you have internally, issues in your mind, whatever it is, whatever it, whatever it is. Human nature is to procrastinate. Human nature is to be reactionary. So ultimately, again, most of us approach life, again, we know this. We know this. I know what my problems are. I know what my challenges are. And by the way, they've been the same problems and the same challenges that I've had for years. They've just maybe morphed into different, they manifest themselves differently. But I don't deal with it. I I will deal with it. When it hits crisis point, right? In other words, when I can no longer deal with it. When I can no longer, we do this with our children, where we see, we see things happening with our kids. We see things, but for whatever the reason, we just don't feel we could intervene. When we say we don't feel we could intervene, it's that we just don't wanna deal with it. I just, I just don't wanna deal with it. It's a lot of time, it's a lot of effort. I'm exhausted. I'm just exhausted from life. I don't want to deal with it. So we, so, so we just, we, we, we procrastinate until it comes to a head, until it comes to a crisis. And by the way, most problems don't get solved effectively when they are solved in the midst of crisis. Because crisis brings all of its own, all of its own baggage with it. But isn't it an incredible thing? I know what the problems are. I know the challenges with my children. I know the challenges in my marriage. I know the challenges with my relationships. I know my personal challenges. I've known them. I've known them for such a long time. I'll deal with them the moment that I can no longer ignore them. The moment that it hits crisis point, now I'll deal with it. And says the Imre Elimelech, that is a profoundly flawed approach to life. The secret to spiritual success is religious, spiritual proactivity. Go out and engage the problems. Don't wait for the problems to engage you. Go out and try to problem solve. Go out and create strategies. Go out and try to address that which is broken. And don't wait for life's problems to blow up in your face, which they do. (laughs) They always do. And then I'm forced to deal with them, and I'm already behind the eight ball, and I'm already in a difficult situation. Go out to wage battle. Take the battle to the Yitzhahara. Don't wait for the battle to come to you. And now we understand why Chazal did not like Nidarim. This is incredible. Let's go back for just a moment. So remember again, the Gemara number eight, that if you make a Nadar, if you make a Nadar, that is sinful. That is sinful, the Gemara says. Even if you make the nether and you fulfill it, it's still sinful. Do you know why it's sinful? What is a nether? A nether is a reactive mechanism. Right? Think about this in just a moment. There's something I know, there's something I, know I need to do in life. So what do I do? What do I do? Okay. I make a nether. No, I'm past procrastination. I make a nether. I make a nether. Says the Gemara. Instead of making a nether, just do it. Just do it. Sometimes the use of a nether is there just to procrastinate. Sometimes the use of a nether is just buys me a little bit of extra time. You know how it's just like some people, they're always planning. They're always planning. 
always planning, right? Again, they have a great life plan. I've, I've got a one-year plan, a five-year plan, a 10-year plan. I've, I've got this whole plan. And they're such excellent planners. There's only one little small skill set that they're missing. And they don't execute. Best plans in the world. And so well articulated, so well thought out. Sometimes like you hear from people like this and like, wow, like, I wish I was as well thought out as this person. And then you look at their lives and like, oh, but they haven't done anything. Right? They, they talk a lot. They plan a lot. But they don't execute. Chazal said, forget about the nidarim. Just do. Just do. If there's something you have to accomplish in life, if there's something you have to do, if there's something you have to change, if there's an adjustment, a modification, an enhancement, an addition, a subtraction, some change you need to make in your life, don't talk about it. Don't make nidurim about it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Sometimes, you know, and again, sometimes we talk things to death. I'm, I'm avoiding eye contact with my wife when I say this, right? 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 Sometimes we talk things to death. And sometimes you just don't have to talk about it anymore. You just have to do it. You just have to do it. Or, or, or don't do it. But stop talking about it. Stop talking about it. So the Gemara says, Nidarim are problematic because Nidarim is talking about what you're going to do. And that's once again being reactive. That's procrastination. Don't talk about your plans. Live your plans. Don't talk about your dreams and ideals, but actualize them. Don't talk about the changes you should make. Make the changes that need to be made. The secret to successful spiritual living is proactivity. Now watch this. This is probably what David Amelech is doing as well. Remember again, let's go back for just a moment. Let's, go, let's, tie up, let's tie up the loose ends. Remember again, what was our question on David Amelech? The Malbim. The Malbim said that at the end of Pasuk Vav, what was David Amelech doing? What was he doing? What, what is he doing? He's singing. He's singing, right? Ashira v'azamra la'ashem. I will sing and chant praise to the Lord. He's singing and chanting. Beautiful. Only one problem, which is, according to the Malbim, Eben Ezra, Mitzudas David, David HaMelech is what? But is, what? He's still in the midst of his difficulties. He's still in the midst of his challenges. So why exactly are you singing if you are in the midst of your challenges? Do you know what David HaMelech is doing? He's being proactive. He's being proactive. He's beginning the singing and the chanting of success of accomplishment even before it's begun. Because David HaMelech understood that if you want good things to happen for you in life, you have to be proactive in making them materialize. So here, David HaMelech, his head is bowed, his head is bowed, the enemies are surrounding him, internal, external, on all sides. And what is David HaMelech saying? I have to do something to proactively bring about my personal salvation. And so what does he start to do? He starts to sing. It's not a steer, it's not a contradiction. Because you could be in a difficult compromised state, as David Amalek was, but at the same time, you have to proactively begin to advance your life agenda. Do not live a life of defensive battles. Do not live a life of being a reactionary. 
But ultimately, again, live a life of taking the battle to the Sahara. Live a life of proactivity. Learn how to take proactive action even when life is difficult and overwhelming. That's what's happening over here in this capital. And in one last piece, number 10, back to number 10, the Imri Ali Melech, this will conclude, the Imri Ali Melech says something amazing. He says, do you know when this lesson has to be most acutely internalized? Listen, look what he writes. In number 10, I apologize about the quality of the print. He says, he says, Hashem, skip a little bit. He says, Says the Do you know what sometimes the greatest problem of the Yamim No Raim is? That often, when do we begin our Rosh Hashanah preparation? When does our Rosh Hashanah experience begin? On Rosh Hashanah. Right? I open up the Machzer, I open up the Machzer, or I hear HaMelech, if I'm here early enough on Shachris, I hear HaMelech, or I hear the Shah, oh, Rosh Hashanah, that begins. Says the Emelech, if you're beginning on Rosh Hashanah, then you're already waging a defensive battle. Rosh Hashanah is already the Melchama. Rosh Hashanah already, the war has begun. The war has begun, meaning the war, meaning the struggle. Because remember again, what's happening on Rosh Hashanah? There's this is this awesome struggle. There's this awesome struggle because my my life, my destiny, can go in so many different directions. There's this milchama, and says the Imraeli Melech on Rosh Hashanah. Already the battle, the battles you're in the thick of it already. So if I want to be successful, says the Imraeli Melech, I have to live a life of kiseitz and milchama. I have to be proactive. And when's the time to be proactive in the battle of life, proactive for the battle of Yamim Noraim? Elul. Says the Imre Ali Melech, every single month is ripe for a proactive dynamic activity. But no month is as ripe as Chodesh Elul. And it comes out something so incredibly beautiful. That, you know, we come to this month, I think I mentioned this in the past year, but I think sometimes we come to Chodesh Elul and I think if you're like me, what often happens is the month begins and there's like such an incredible excitement. Not a fear, because the Jew is not supposed to live in fear. An excitement, a joy of being close to Hashem, a joy of preparation, a joy of change. And then what often happens is I suffer from like elo paralysis. And what's elo paralysis? I think about all the things I want to do, all the things I have to do, all the things I said I was going to do over the course of last year, and I'm realizing like, oh, I, I, I didn't do them. I didn't do them. So, okay, how could I cram an entire year's worth of accomplishment into one month? How could I tie up? So, by the way, how do you cram a year's worth of accomplishment into one month? And the answer is, you don't. <laughs> you don't. You don't. And you don't have to cram a year's worth of accomplishments into one month. So how do you have a successful owl? The Emir Ali Malak says it's very simple. Become proactive in one area of your life. Choose an area of your life where you are going to demonstrate proactivity. Choose one, not two areas, not five areas, not everything. Now, could we come out? I'm sorry, let's have any suffering proactive in everything in life, in everything in life. No, it doesn't work. I mean, it does work. You'd be proactive in every area, but not at once. Choose one area of life where up until now, I have been engaged in a defensive battle. One area of life that I've always allowed the battle to come to me. 
and take the reins of that one area of life. Take the reins. And by the way, when I say area of life, it could be one relationship. It could be one midah, one behavior that I struggle with. Choose one thing in your life in which you have assumed a defensive posture, in which you've only been reactionary, which you've never dealt with until crisis hits, and switch your approach. Switch to a kiseitse Become proactive in one area of life. Because something amazing happens. I think, I mean, I've never done this, but I hopefully one day I'll be successful in this. If you can become proactive in one area of life, you immediately see that what? You can become proactive in any area of life. That level of comprehensive change takes a long time. But all you need to do in life, it's kind of like just like riding a bike. All a child needs is like that, that, that 25 feet where they're riding unassisted. They might fall off the next time. But once they've seen that they could traverse some distance without the parent holding onto the bike, I could ride a bike. It might take a while to get up, but I could ride a bike. All I need to do is to demonstrate to myself that in one area of life, I can be proactive. Like one area of life, I can be proactive. And this is so incredibly important because I think most of us, like I said before, lead reactive lives. We don't deal with our problems until we have to. Or we don't deal with our problems until we can no longer ignore them. Or we don't deal with our problems until they literally just implode right in front of us. And why? You know, we don't have to live that way. It doesn't have to be that in my heart, I'm always just getting nervous for the next crisis that's going to unfold because I have a a whole host of issues that I have not properly... It doesn't have to be that way. I could lead a kiseitse lemilchama life. I could bring the battle to my problems and not allow my problems to show up at my doorstep with a waging war. I can be a proactive individual. It says the Imre Ali Melech. That's the Avod of Chodesh Elo. So we should be Zohar Merz Hashem. To identify, and do it tonight, by the way. Don't, don't say, okay, tomorrow morning, first thing. Because if you say tomorrow morning, first thing, I'm going to identify an error, I'm going to be proactive, then you are procrastinating being proactive. And then I've undone the whole thing. Tonight, it's early, we're ending the show, it's only 8.47. Tonight, identify for yourself the one area where I'm going to become proactive. The one area where I am bringing the battle to my problems and stop allowing my problems to dictate the tempo of the engagement. I'm taking the reins. I'm becoming Kiseite. I'm going to be like David Hamela, who even though everything is not perfect, I'm going to try to go out and sing. I'm going to try to create a little bit of proactivity in, in the whole sea of challenges that I have. One area. And in Yerat Hashem, we will all be Zoha to be successful in that area, which if we put our mind to it, we will be successful. Once we see success in one area of proactivity, we should have the courage to be proactive in additional areas of life, utilizing the remainder of this month for dynamic, proactive engagement and in that zuchos, paving the way for a beautiful year of fulfillment, simcha, bracha, and accomplishment. Amen.